0: Good morning. How great thou art. Does that not do something to your soul? Isn't it awesome being in his great presence? Isn't it awesome being loved by him? Man, I tell you, it's amazing. We sing a song like that, and I, I swear I hear my grandmother. And she's with the Lord, but she's singing with us. And I swear I hear my mom, and she's in New York, and I think if we listen closely, I think we hear Jesus who comes and sings with us and sings over us. What privilege it is to gather in his name and to say, truly, God, how great, how incredibly great you are. Because he's great, he has done great things for us, rescuing us through the work of his son. Because he's great, he's given us a spirit that's given us life, drawn us into relationship with father. Father. Because he's great, he's giving us, he's given to us his word. It is a living word. It is an active word. It, is, it has the ability to, to dissect us to the core, literally, and to lead us to life, life in his son. So because we acknowledge his greatness and we're his, will you turn it with me to his word? We're going to stop here for the next four weeks in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 to this morning, in the next three weeks, as I begin a series, a four-week series entitled, Keys to a Healthy Church. Keys to a Healthy Church, and let me begin by saying to you how proud I am of you, and how much health I see in you, and how much I see the Spirit working in us. I do believe there's days we've got a long way to go. But by God's grace, I think we are pretty healthy. But we've got to look to God's Word. Each week we're going to peer through uh, the window of Scripture. Each week we're going to peer through the window of Scripture into Acts 2. And it will give us a glimpse of the early church. And as we peer through the window of Scripture into the early church or the church right after Pentecost, we believe the early church goes way beyond that, way back to Abraham. Abraham. But as we peer through scripture and see the church, the household church, responding to God, responding to the Holy Spirit, responding to the fact that they have been set free and they've been given a commission to change the world, there are some components that really are keys that we need to look at and say, how are we doing? Is this evident in our body? Is this evident in our lives? Is this evident in our church? What are these components that make up a healthy church? And let me remind you, That we are the church. The church isn't the brick and mortar. The church is not this building. The church, in a biblical understanding of the church, are God's people. They're His children. It's the elect. So we are the church. And we have to give individual attention to each key. Each key will have a lock for our own heart, which Scripture always does. And also a lock for us corporately as well. let's be mindful that we're reading God's very word. Amazing things are happening here in the uh, Book of Acts. Jesus' ministry continues. He is ascended up to heaven, as promised. The Holy Spirit has come. Um, lives are changing by a rapid amount and a huge quantity. And we get to verse forty-two with a great, incredible picture of what God is doing in this church. Be mindful, God's holy, inerrant Word. Acts two, verse t- t- forty-two. And they, the believers, the Christians, the church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all, all, all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let us ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Pray with me, please. Father, we are here because you are great. And we are here because the lavish, the love that you've lavished upon us is so Incredibly great through the work of your son that we love, through the power of your spirit. Father, we ask that you would come and you would speak to us, your church, your family. Father, still our hearts. Father, help us deal with the distractions that are whirling around in our minds even now. Father, you know how nervous I am. You know the anxiousness of my own heart. And Father, I ask that you would do something that only you could do, that you would speak through a broken sinner. That, Father, that you would use me to be your vessel. And Father, that you would open our minds to hear and understand your word. Father, that you would empower our feet, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that that the Spirit would come and break our hearts and make it tender to receive the good news of Jesus, and that today you'd reshape us and remake us more like Jesus, our Savior, your Son. God, the things that are said that contain the good news of Christ, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? And the things that are said that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, May they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. So here we go. We got a picture of the early church. It's amazing. God is adding to their number. Three thousand have just been baptized. And now as they are gathering, the first thing they are going to do is they're going to devote themselves to a few of the keys. And the first thing they devote themselves to is interesting to me. It kind of intrigues me. We think of the early church, and we probably know about some of their love for one another, a love that would cause them to sell their stuff and give to the poor. We hear about the early church. We hear about some of the worship that they had that was so spirit-filled that they would gather in their homes daily. They'd be eating together and having the Lord's Supper together. But the thing that just jumped out at me as I looked over this was the first key is this. They were a learning community. They were devoting themselves to the Lord's teaching, the apostles' teaching. They knew how much they needed to hear from the Lord to change their lives. And so they devoted themselves. The word devoted. A single-minded focus or pursuit a single-minded focus or pursuit that they had, that they were going to say, we are going to devote ourselves, and what we're going to look at this morning is this, the apostles' teaching, and we're going to ask the question, why? But let me start off by asking you this question, and, and please, answer it. Think deeply. Because exactly what I'm about to ask you, God impressed upon me, it was the question of this. What am I devoted to? Or if you want to follow along in your your outline, you'll see the first question. To what are you devoted? Single-minded focus. Pursuit. To what are you devoted? As I thought about that question about myself, there are some people's lives that I could look to that seem so obvious I mean, some people live their life with such zeal and such pursuit and such singular focus They have no doubt about what they are devoted to. And the name that comes to my mind is Tiger Woods. I mean, Tiger Woods, you don't have any, any doubt of what he's going for. The world's greatest golfer. The number of uh, majors that will propel him as the greatest golfer ever. You look at his chiseled body, and, I, and I, I can't help but laugh, but compared to him and some of our other favorites like John Daly and Phil Mickelson, that look more like me, I laughed a little bit too loud. You realize that everything in Tiger's gait, everything in Tiger's swing, everything in Tiger's life is devoted, singular, focused to being the world's greatest. It exudes out of his pores, does it not? What exudes out of yours? What is your focus? And granted, God probably didn't wire us quite like him or not many of us that have that much passion and that much focus. But it seems to be resonating in the early church. They seem to have that passion, that pursuit, that devotion, that awe, even to the disciples' teaching. And you know what I came up with my answer as I thought about this and as God broke me to pieces under his word once again, I'm devoted to me. I mean, I'm really devoted to my life. I'm devoted to my wants. I'm devoted to my joys. I'm really kind of devoted to, to my story. You know, I'm a Mac guy, and so I think that maybe it's all about I, Jeff, you know, I, Jeff, I, I, you have an iMac, I have iTunes, I have an iPod, I'm lusting for an iPhone, which I don't have yet. But really, it's kind of an I, Jeff pursuit. And I don't want it to be. I just want it to be more. And, but so much of my life is really telling me the truth of what I'm singularly devoted to is Jeff. But there's a longing in me, and if you're the same as me, and if we really got down to the core we stripped it away and we're really honest with one another and say, you know what, maybe my life's like yours. Maybe it's more like I and fill in your name. Maybe that's my reality too. But we got to realize, each and every one of us, that we want more. Why? Because God has created us for more. You see, our story will never be enough. God has stamped himself on us. We are made in his image. He has created us for a story. Here, thank God, he's created us for a story so much more than us individually. So much more than just our life. We don't have to live our lives thinking that we are it. Why do I do it all the time? You see, because you and I, I know this for sure, and each and every one of us, we have been designed in the image of God and as His children, as His family, we have been redeemed through the blood of His Son. We have been filled with His Holy Spirit, and it's all so that our story doesn't have to be I, Jeff, or I, whatever anymore. It can be I, God. And He wants to tell His story through us. Unbelievably, each of us longs to be a part of a bigger story. It is true of each one of us. Listen, No matter how big and grand your story is. No matter how much stuff your story contains. No matter how much success God has blessed your story with. There's not enough money. There's not enough sex. There's not enough fame for our stories to really, really satisfy our souls. Because God has created us for a bigger story than us. And He's created us for His story. And this reality was blowing the minds of the early church. When they started to understand what Jesus meant to them, when they started to understand God's Word, when the big picture was unfolding, guess what happened? Their jaws dropped. And they realized that the story no longer has to be with them in the center, but with Jesus in the center. And Jesus wants to use us as his storytellers. And awe, awe of God fell upon them, and their lives were turned upside down. You see, here's the truth. Lean in with me. Lean in with me, because here's the truth. The truth is, each one of us live our lives longing for a greater story. But also the truth with sinners like us is there's tension of wanting more, Because you know the truth about me? I want more of God as long as he doesn't ruin my life. I like a lot of my story. I really do. I got a good story going. I got good health. I have a wonderful family. I got a wonderful congregation, a phenomenal job. Don't mess up my story too much. Okay, God, maybe it's not just I, Jeff. Maybe it's I, Jeff, and God. Maybe you could be part of the story, but there's parts of the story you can have, and there's really parts of the story that I don't want you to go anywhere near because you're going to mess it up. You like me? You know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a word in here in verse 43 that, that just sends me. It says, Awe came upon every soul. If you have the NIV, it's awe. If you have the ESB, if you have the NASB, it's awe. If you have the King James, what are you still reading that for? Um, <laughs> it, 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 it says fear. And the Greek word really there is fear. But I think the right translation of this is that they were in awe. There was a sense of awe. Now let me, let's, let's, let's just put away the, the, the semantics here. And let me ask you a question. How much awe is in your life? How much of a sense of awe does your walk with Christ produce for you? Yesterday, my family and I drove over to the beach for a few hours and drove back. But We were walking, Katie and I were walking on the beach, and there was a a young couple coming and they were holding their daughter in their arms and she was she was filled with awe you know that picture of a little little girl at the beach or a little boy I mean just the wonder and the awe and the excitement and she was just you see it was awe on her face and she didn't know enough to know you don't walk on the beach with a sense of wonder and awe I mean what's the matter with you people are going to lock you up for things like that and she's waving at everybody I mean she's waving at us. She says, Hey, I'm at the beach. You can't even speak. I mean, hey, I don't want to say hi to you. I in awe and wonder. I thought, why do we lose that? I mean the parents kind of smile at you as they hold their child like, oh, we're kind of embarrassed for her, but you know, they're kids. Awe. You know the truth is? How's it with you? The truth is, is I don't really need a lot of awe from Jesus. You know the sadder truth? I don't even expect a lot of awe from Jesus most of my life. I mean, most of my days, I don't really think I'm going to get a lot of awe. I don't think I need a lot of awe. You know, all I need is just a little bit of personal rescue. How is it with you? Just a little bit of Jesus is really all I need just a little bit of help with a few little things to make things go a little bit better so I, Jeff's story, can still be being put out there in a way that I'm glad about. You see, the truth about this, and I look at the early church, and I see what Jesus was doing with them, and I look at the fact that awe came upon them, it screams back to me is you know what, I think I only need a little Jesus, not an awe-producing Jesus. And I think I only need a little bit of teaching Not awe-producing teaching. And even our teaching. I mean, here they were. They were were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to look at this in a macro level in just a second. How do you view teaching, God's teaching? You know, I I thought about this, and it always comes back to food with me, of course. And so I I was thinking it's kind of like a buffet line for me. It's kind of like Chinese buffet. You know, there's a lot of stuff there I like. There's a lot of stuff there I don't like. And there's some stuff I have no idea what it is. And so I pick my own. I grab my tray. I tell myself, show a little restraint. It's okay here just to deal with hunger pains. You don't have to eat everything. This is it because says all you can eat? I promise you, Jeff, you're going to get your $6.50 worth. There's no doubt about that. They're not making a dime on you. But I'm going to go through. I'm going to pick what I want. Do we do that with God's word? You know, I, I, I need a little reform theology. I, I need a little bit of this, and I need a little bit of that. Ah, that's kind of scary to me. I want to pass by that. I'm not sure what that is. Avoid that like the plague. So I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to pick this. I'm going to pick that. I'm going to pick this. And listen, listen. We've even taken learning God's word in a way that makes it fit our I, Jeff stories. I mean, God has given us a living and active word that he wants us to be submitting to, and he wants us to be obedient and following. And he says it's, it's going to shape us, it's going to rebuke us, it's going to correct us, it's going to make us more like Jesus, his son. It's going to really give us the wisdom we need to live life. I mean, do we really believe it has any wisdom to live life? I mean, seriously, how much are you going to lean on God's word tomorrow negotiating a contract? How much are you going to lean on God's word tomorrow changing a diaper? How much wisdom is it really going to have for us? I mean, we go through our lives, a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here. And I think that we've missed it completely. That somehow we're not the learning community that God has called us to because we're not in awe of God. And somehow we just need a little God and a little story. And we'll go through the line of God's word like a buffet. And eat when we're really hungry. And just take without what we need. The question we got to ask ourselves is this. Why would the early church devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? That's the second deal. Why would they do it? Why, why are they devoting themselves? It may seem really simple, but I think there's more here. And, and Lord, help me say it clearly. You see, here's what's happening in the new new church. Here's what's happening to these new believers. They've just received new life. They've gone from being dead in trespasses and, and sins to being made alive in Christ Jesus. Do you know that joy? Do you know that life? They've just received new life through faith by God's grace, faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They just have received new power through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. He's filling their hearts and their presence, and they now have the power of the resurrected Savior inside of them, pulsating with new life and new power. And the apostles' teaching was reshaping, listen, the apostles' teaching was reshaping the world in which they lived. It told them completely different that their lives had a whole lot more importance than I, Jeff. It told them a whole lot more that their lives had meaning. It had purpose. And they were beginning to see their calling. And what did it do? It left a bunch of sinners like us filled with awe that God wanted to use us to tell His story. That it doesn't have to be I, Jeff, anymore. And they were in awe that a God would love him enough to send a son. That would love us enough to go through a cross. That would be powerful enough to leave a tomb empty. That a spirit would come and give them new life. And they had all this in common and they had all this awe. And a God who would love. And a God who would redeem. And a God who would rescue. And they realized, I have one life to give. And I have one world to win. You see, I don't think we get it until that's our motto. And that's our understanding. Is that we have one life to give and one world to win. The only way we get this is we connect the dots. And I don't know how to do this very well. And so you're just going to have to sit there and, and listen the best of your ability. And let me encourage you, those who take notes... You maybe want to grab a pen, because I'm going to mention a lot of Scripture verses in a very short amount of time. We, look at, we take a microscope today, and we put the early church underneath it And we come down on it and say, okay, here's some interesting keys of what's going on in the early church. But really, the only reason they have an awe going on in the early church is there is this, an explosion. That is happening in their world view that is connecting all the dots. Okay, So let's connect a few dots together. What has actually happened? Well in the book of Acts already we have had Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come as Jesus has promised. If you look at John chapter 15 and 16 as Jesus is wrapping up His earthly ministry, and as He's spending time talking to His disciples, He tells to them, and He tells to us in John 15 and 16, that He's not going to leave us at orphans. That He's going to send His Holy Spirit to come. The third person of the Trinity is going to come. He's going to give us new life. And here's what Jesus says about Him in John 15. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And He is going to testify about me. And you are now going to be filled with the Spirit. And in the book of Acts 1 8, it says this. In 1 8, it says, The Spirit has come. And Jesus Christ himself is going to say this. You now, believers, are going to be my witnesses. You are going to be, and that word witness in the Greek can also be translated martyrs. You're going to be my martyrs. You're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to tell my story through you. And we look back up to the book, the beginning of the book of Acts. Have I lost you yet? Acts is written by Luke. It's written to a guy called Theophilus, which is a translator, lover of God. The Gospel of Luke is written to the same man. The Gospel of Luke starts off, to says, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. In the book of Acts, he says, I'm going to still tell you about Jesus. You see, the story is all about Jesus. The story's always been about Jesus. The only story there ever was and there ever will be, and the only story ever worth telling is I, Jesus. You see, what happened in the Gospel of Luke is he clearly tells us the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears to a couple of travelers that were really confused about the story. And he starts to open up their mind to all of Scripture. And guess what he does? He says this entire thing, the law, the prophets, everything is about Jesus. The whole thing from start to finish. And their hearts burned within them. And their minds were expanded. And they were in absolute awe. As all of a sudden the whole telos, the whole point of God's word was Jesus. And it changed their life. And here is what happens in the book of Acts you have the Holy Spirit coming and saying, listen, the story still is about Jesus. He's the one that Stephen's going to see when he's martyred. He's the one that's going to knock Paul down and blind him. He is the point and the goal of the entire story. It's still about Jesus. And why were the disciples such in awe? Is because their life has been so changed through this Jesus. And now they were able to tell not their story, but His story. Jesus says, listen, I want to come and I want to show you, I want to be a part of your life. I want to rearrange your world so you understand why, what the point of this whole thing is, what the point of this whole world is, what the point of your whole life is, what the point of the whole redemptive history. It's all about Jesus. And here's the incredible story for us today is that he wants to tell his story through us. Why were they in awe? Well, they realized that through the apostles' teaching, their whole world was changing. Through the apostles' teaching, there was a beautiful, glorious Savior that rescued them and was calling them to advance Christ's kingdom. They were realizing the urgency of the call. Here's what they were saying. Listen, are we saying this? Here's what they were saying. What, do we, what must we do? Jesus wants to tell a story through us. He wants to tell a story through us. Tell me what I need to do to survive. It says that we'll be as witnesses. Some of us will be as martyrs there was an urgency of the call and they realized they had such a greater joy than just telling their own story they're telling his story and i tell you there's an urgency in telling his story there's a primacy of the call they're realizing this is why i'm here this is what it's all about this is all I fell so they're saying now tell me apostles teaching tell me we still have it in god's word what must i do to thrive There was a cost of the call. We might lose everything, but listen, let's just sell it anyway. We might be martyrs, but he wants to tell his story through us. You see, the early church were the storytellers for their generation. The storytellers of Jesus. And they were in awe that they could tell the story. See, here's the bottom line. They wanted to tell the story right. And they devoted themselves to the teaching because they knew that they would come in contact with a hostile world. And they knew they wanted to take every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. They knew that they had to be able to know what they believed and why they believed it as they went as his witnesses. Guess what we are? We are this generation's witness. We are this generation's storytellers for Jesus. Jesus. I read this book this last week, Sam Harris, a very quick little read, A Letter to a Christian Nation, an atheist who thinks we're absolutely nuts, and wants to look at our faith and laugh at us, and say, you've got to be kidding me. Look at science. Look at evolution. Get your head out of the sand and Live. Can we be the witnesses to the Sam Harris's of the world? Can we defend our faith? That's why they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teachings. Because they realized they had a world to win. And they might have to go toe-to-toe in love with Sam Harris. And take every thought captive. And make it obedient to Christ. And tell his story. April 3rd, uh, I'm sorry, in April this year, uh, there were three Christians who were tortured and killed by Muslims in Turkey. That they thought they were going to go, and these thought these Muslims were seekers that wanted to know more about the faith. They went as witnesses, they went to testify of the story that is so much greater than I, Jeff. They went to tell the story of Jesus, and they gave their life doing it. How does it make you feel? I mean, honestly, how does it make you feel? You know what it makes me feel like? Oh, thank God for them. <laughs> Whew. I'm glad that no one's going to kill me at Orangewood today. Some won't like me, but. But somehow, somehow it seems distant to me. and I think somehow it seems distant to you. Do we understand that God has called us into relationship with Jesus to be His storytellers? Do we understand the reason we are here is to tell the story of Jesus? Therefore, there is awe. Oh, therefore, there was an urgency. And it all will begin on how you view God's Word. Do we see it? There's some scripture verses that are going to come up quickly. God's word says, listen, it's living and active. It's got the ability to decide, dissect you in Hebrews 4.12. 2 Timothy 3.16. There's a couple of 3.16s in here that are pretty interesting. It tells us that God's word is able to rebuke and correct and refine. Do we really believe it? Colossians 3.16 tells us that the word of Christ is to dwell richly in our lives so we can be his storytellers. Look at Psalm 19. Go back and look at Psalm 19 and just be amazed. It says God's word is sweeter than honey. Do we believe it? More precious than fine gold. Do we believe it? You see, the key to a healthy church begins with being a learning community, but not just learning for ourselves. Here's the whole point. Listen. God is calling us to be subjected to be under the authority of the apostles' teaching because he wants to use us to tell his story to Sam Harris and anyone else that will listen. He wants to use you, your life, and he's given you his word. May we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching so that we can take every thought captive. We want to do this in our church so behedly. We really do. That's why we have our, connect, our equipping centers. That's why we have our C2 groups. And I know it's going to take us together saying, we're the A-team. You ever heard that before? God wants to advance his kingdom through us. And the only way we can do it is if we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, saying, God, here I am, send me. I'm a broken sinner, but send me. My brothers and sisters in Christ, please, let's not go through the buffet line, just picking and choosing just for our own good, for our own I, Jeff stories. Please, let us understand the urgency of this call. It's not just about Turkey, uh, the missionaries in Turkey who are supposed to do it. This is you and me. And therefore, let's devote ourselves to what we know and why we know it. Let's be brave. Brave men, women, and children that'll go out and engage in this world and tell the greatest story ever told. Let us pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. It truly is living and active. And Father, I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness because it's so much about I, Jeff. And it really is. And and God, I I, I just, I want to be a part of your story, but as long as it doesn't mess up my story too bad. And God, I repent of that. I ask your forgiveness. And Father, I want you to reshape me. I want my story, my pursuit, and my passion to be you. God, make me, make me brave for Jesus. And God, I pray the same for each man, woman, and child here. Father, would you make us brave? Would you give us an awe of you, a hunger for you, a love for you that we want to dig deeply because you've changed our life and you're changing our world. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.